0: Yo, 50 years of hip-hop. 50 years of hip-hop from listener power, KEXP. Welcome to 50 Years of Hip-Hop, brought to you by KEXP. My name is Larry Mizell Jr., and today we celebrate the year 1978. But wait, something's missing. Didn't even get a chance to grab my old school tape. Pull an old school tape from out my right. See, 1978 is a year near and dear to your boy, as it was the year I was born. But as we celebrate a half-century of hip-hop culture, careful examination points to 78 as a tipping point. 1978 saw the formation of crews such as the Cold Crush Brothers and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, signaling the prevalence of MCs on the mic, which would come to define the sound and presentation of hip-hop as a musical form. See, hip-hop back then was like a classic example of what they call If You Know You Know which is probably best translated here as you had to be there. If you weren't in New York City, in the loop, and going to parties, you just weren't seeing a crucial part of the culture developing. But if you were one of the lucky few that had to connect to somebody that was, or somebody that in turn had to connect to somebody else that was, then there was one way to bear witness to the new art form taking shape.
1: The old school tape might be the most important thing in hip-hop.
0: That's the venerable DJ, record collector, and historian, KEXP's own Supreme La Rock, host of Sunday Soul and down since day one B-Boy. Supreme and I talked about how cassette tapes recorded at these parties, uniformly with crude sound quality, more often than not the dub of a dub of the original, became the culture's most precious currency. These tapes, through which listeners from Las Vegas to Osaka could actually hear the battles, routines, and DJ mixes coming out of the dim parks, Sweaty clubs and DJ booths of the Bronx and surrounding boroughs quickly spread around the globe, disseminating the culture like airdrop propaganda pamphlets.
1: A lot had to do with military. You had to be in New York to get the tape, right? But then they would take it to Germany or wherever they're based. Of course, when everyone heard it, they dubbed it. Slowly, they would make their rounds around the world. You might get a hundredth generation dub and it sound like there's a beehive in the background. <laughs> <laughs> you know all this. Right. But you could hear it. And like me and Finesse were talking cuz we we could say those people had to go platinum. They didn't know it, but there had to be a million dubs floating around.
0: These tapes are the earliest documents of hip hop or rap music as it was originally conceived in its rawest form. The sound of these dirty, rough-sounding recordings have more similarity to old noise or punk records than to say a Jack Harlow song. The earliest old-school tape I've been able to find evidence of online is a 1978 recording of a nascent crew called the L Brothers, a crew that had at its heart the three DJs They were the namesake Livingston brothers, Mean Gene, Claudio, and the youngest sibling Theodore, who would soon become Grand Wizard Theodore. Together with MC's Smiley, Master Rob, Kevy Kev, and sometimes Busy B Starsky, the L Brothers were a formidable force on the mic and turntables, as heard on that tape. As they presented their rhymes and routines, they rapped and taunted their opponents that night at the Bronx River Center, DJ Cool Herc's crew, known as the Herky Lords.
1: One, two. One, two. And you say, we still got a little more time left to rock, and you say, to whack Jack. And you say, Lane.
0: Unfortunately, there isn't a recording of the Herky Lords portion, so their side of that battle is for now lost to history. However, as a document of burgeoning technical sophistication on the mic, and the symbiotic relationship between DJs and MCs, it's an invaluable entry in the canon of the culture. For example, just hearing MC Smiley rap over the brakes being spun off of vinyl records live is not only a thrilling performance, but likely the first recording of a female MC in hip-hop. I mean all the sea. The fact is, the old school tape is a sacred artifact in the culture of hip-hop. Supreme and I got into it. Word, man. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this, bro. You know, we've been doing a different year for every episode, right? This one is about 1978. I feel like I noticed that this is the moment where things started to shift
1: in hip-hop a little bit from the first generation of it.
0: I'm wondering, you know, did you have any kind of impression of what was in the air in 1978?
1: I wasn't around during that era, but I remember I didn't hear those tapes. So when tapes, when I started getting tapes, wasn't until um, New Music Seminar, which was way later down the area, you know what I'm saying? Had to shift from the year.
0: No, but I feel like that's how a lot of people, you know, unless they were like really there at that moment, became aware of of those tapes and what was happening during that period. And I mean, I'm only really getting into them in depth because of YouTube now,
1: you know? Right. Well, I wanted to say that those tapes, you know, yeah, it was 78 when they were recording them. But really, it took them a few years to make it around the world.
0: These tapes not only contain invaluable history, they capture an energy that was simply ahead of its time. Here's DMC of the legendary Run DMC talking about their game-changing song, Sucker MCs, the hip hop song that effectively deaded the disco band sound of the first rap records and what the inspiration of that was.
1: It was the tape. Right. We didn't want to do records. We wanted to, we, me and Run had to stand, we make beat jams. Mm. Mm. We make what's on the Harlem World tape. Mm. We make what they doing in the T Connection. And the you know what I'm saying? So when Sucker Seeds came, it was a game changer. Right. The, the greatest rappers in history. Mm. The greatest period in hip-hop is the history before recorded rap. You know, and I was listening, actually this morning, I was listening to DMC's Drink Champs. He was talking about every Friday this cat would roll up to school and he'd have a box of tapes for sale. And they were all the tapes we're talking about. and He'd buy them on. And that was the year, 78. Now they're on YouTube. Yeah, now we can, you know, collectors have uploaded. Now we can go listen, which is great.
0: Yeah, everybody's got that access, but you really had to know somebody or you had to, like, have a cousin in NY or something to even know what it was.
1: Right. And like I said, that's something like my first. Okay, so really, let's really talk about it. the first tape that they call, they call going viral nowadays had to be the Busy B Starsky right. battle, which according to, I think it was Starsky, he said he didn't know what was a battle or it wasn't a battle. Right and that Modi just jumped up there and did what he did. Right. We all heard the tape.
0: The tape in question being one of the most formative events in the development of MCing, recorded live one night in 1981 at the club Harlem World. That night, the Treacherous Three's cool Modi, who had a successful solo career later, came for the neck of the beloved MC Busy B. Starsky. Crews have been doing routines, showing and proving their superiority through their talent, for years at jams, as evidenced on many an old school tape, including that 78 Bronx River tape that Busy B himself was on. But that 1981 was different. Modi D was coming straight at Busy B, head to head with bars directly addressing Busy B. It was the first modern MC battle, and while Busy B held his own... It was clear that Mo D. at that night raised the bar and the stakes. That that, was was one of the earliest things I ever heard. And that was the birth of a whole new paradigm in terms of hip hop. And like you said, it went viral.
1: My first tape I had was Shantae Battling Fruit Kwan. That was the New Music Seminar tape. And they used to do um, the seminars every summer and they have a DJ and MC battle. And then being the New York hustlers they were, they recorded the battles. They'd stay up all night and dub them and they'd be for sale the next day.
0: How? What was your connect on the tapes?
1: Well, I had a friend that went to the seminar. Like you said, you had to know somebody or have a relative. So this guy went and he came back, you know, and and he brought me the tape. Kind of like record digging. It always sparks my brain. And I'm like, well, what else is there? Are there any other battles? Like, what else is there? I start digging, trading, asking people for things.
0: What were some of the most popular old school tapes that people were trading?
1: Harlem World and T Connection.
0: I really got sparked by. One I found on YouTube when I was thinking about 1978, and it was the L Brothers versus the Herky Lords. And that was crazy. L Brothers really kind of stomped those cats out. And it it just struck me how avant-garde the art form was. You know what I mean? It was just like in its in its infancy, but cats are starting to do their routines as MCs. And that seemed to be the big shift it was I was hearing. And it seemed to be the driving force of a lot of these tapes as people are hearing MCs really step out and go against each other. People were probably quoting these lines to each other and everything, right?
1: Yeah. And I mean, and people that had those tapes and listened to them religiously can recite word for word the routines. Right.
0: When I started listening to them some years ago, I realized I recognized a lot of these voices and a lot of the atmosphere from mad different records that had sampled. You know that, especially like the Beastie Boys. They did that a lot. Oh, yeah. Do you have any favorites?
1: I like the DJ Hollywood from the Armory, Yeah. even though it's not necessarily a battle tape. You know, it's just an early, early tape. And it's just dope to hear what they were doing. Even the records, some of the records, DJs don't know to this day what they were. They're still looking for them.
0: I was digging on that listening to the L Brothers and Herculoids tape because you got Herc- going off me and gene theo and they're spinning some stuff i was able to id some of it i'm looking in the youtube comments and people are like what is this some people are telling them but a lot of these joints nobody had any idea
1: and you gotta think these are people that know their shit and they're asking what is this and people still don't know right which is crazy
0: it's like akin to some old lost scroll from some civilization. You know what I mean? People still trying to decode,
1: right? And then also the um, fusion beats, which was pressed to vinyl later on. But when Flash brought his his uh, Vokes drum machine out and was playing, tapping it out, playing the beats live, and they're like flashes on the beatbox. That's so classic. And like you said, that one's been sampled a million times
0: for sure. So that was the innovation Flash was bringing out. And Flash and the Furious, they're coming out in 78 themselves, right?
1: Right. And even, uh, like I said, I was listening to DMC earlier because he said he got a tape and it's Grandmaster Flash and the Furious 4. Right, 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 right. Or even um, Force MDs, and they were the Force MCs.
0: It was a time where there was all that change. All these groups would change. The the Furious 4 became the Furious 5. Uh, The L Brothers became the Fantastic 5. They all had these kind of fluid uh, memberships. I remember on that L Brothers tape, one of them uh, was a female MC named Smiley, and she was cold. I've been trying to find some reference to her for a while. I haven't seen anything. It seemed like that was the year where really that's what led us to Sugar Hill and Rapper's Delight, where where MCs really, really getting it in during that time. So people were kind of going all-city or all-world off the tapes, so similar to how the the writers were going off on the trains.
1: Exactly. I mean, they really did. Those tapes, like I said, they traveled. They went worldwide. Like I always say, no internet. You could just email somebody a, a file. You had to have the tape. And to have the tape, you were dubbing it. And next thing you know, it's overseas. People are rocking this tape right like this is craziness
0: and that's ill cuz yeah so much of it must have had to do with the military and just cats that were dubbing it and and bringing it around the world on their own being the superstar in the in on their base
1: right and a lot of times you know when i talk to these people they move a lot they they go base to base right they get stationed and they so they just leave all their stuff and dip so tapes are getting left all over the place
0: people just getting blessed with with archives that's crazy just thinking about the physicality of the tape, I remember, you know, just even in the 90s when I was taping stuff off the radio, there were certain tapes I liked and I preferred. Were there any, like, ones that you saw people really preferring or ones that you preferred to use when you were taping stuff?
1: Well, you know, I'm it's crazy because I like the, uh, the Sony metal joints. The
0: metal ones are the king to me.
1: I mean, they were expensive. I mean, when I say that, they were like 20 bucks, 15 bucks, you know, but that was a sure. lot back then.
0: Yeah, no doubt.
1: But that was the best. You know, I'm into my quality. I'm like, I want the yes. best. So yes. those were the tapes I were using. Of course, I get the dollar pack with the three in them or whatever at Kmart. And what's funny is I actually used to tape uh, K Fox Fresh Tracks on Sunday night, nice. dub those and sell them at school. Oh, wow. So it was kind of like what they were doing in New York with the battles, We do, but we didn't right. have those here.
0: But you were taping uh, Ness and, and, and Shockmaster Boyd.
1: And even at that, like when we talk about early tapes, I had a lot of Red Alert. I had a lot of Mr. Magic. I had a lot of radio shows. You know, not not the early battles, but radio shows. I had a lot of those. Because it even seemed like back then, those battle tapes was hard to get.
0: You you didn't just have to be in New York. You had to be at the T-Connection, really be in the loop.
1: And, um, when you know, when I was talking to Hollywood, he used to do eight-track mixes. There's 8-track tapes floating around of live battles and live shows. Wow. Yeah, which I'm really trying to get my hands on one of those. And good luck.
0: <laughs> that's wild. I'm surprised none of these have ever been, like, you know, cleaned up to whatever degree they can be
1: and and, and pressed up. I think there's, like, one known 8-track that's floating around.
0: So much history. And, I mean, all these people were becoming infamous, whether we're talking about the MCs or we're talking about these radio DJs, like your Red Alerts and your Mr. Magic, were there any, like, legends that you or others were hearing on these tapes that that are kind of deep cuts?
1: Uh, Probably, like, Grandmaster Flowers hearing the Flowers tapes. Like, they're so dope, but we didn't really hear about him pretty much until recent years.
0: Right. There, There seems like there's been a resurgence of understanding of Flowers and Hollywood.
1: Right. I mean, a guy, I mean, I remember back around that time, though, a friend from New York would tell me about Flowers because I used to laugh at the name. I just thought it was silly.
0: Yeah, like that's soft, you know? Right. (laughs) But it's a dope name.
1: And he's dope. He had that nasally voice, kind of like Rum LZ. Right. Which, you know, Beastie Boys claimed they wanted that and they tried to copy nasally voices.
0: That's a whole chamber to this day. How many tapes like this, what you would call old school tapes, do you think you've got in your collection?
1: Well, I don't have a lot. They got stolen.
0: Oh, no.
1: I collect tapes for years. I used to have basically had a duffel bag, and I'd keep the tapes in this duffel bag. And like in the the late 80s, I had the crazy system in my car. I had six 15-inch woofers in my car and like 4,000 watts of amps. It was better than some nightclub systems in my car. (laughs) And I would drive around bumping these tapes. Mm. I remember I came home one day. I always come home, pull in the garage, right? I don't know why. I think I was leaving soon. I had like 20 minutes. So I'm going to run in the house and and be right back. I ran in the house. I laid on the couch and I fell asleep. I came out probably five hours later and my window was shattered and the duffel bag was gone. Damn. That one hurt. It it hurt. (laughs) Like they're gone. So I slowly, you know, have got some back over the years. But like you said, a lot of it's digital. I have a lot of files. Yeah. As far as my OG tapes, they got stolen.
0: What are some of the biggest collections you've seen?
1: Well, there's people that just, that's what they do. There's so it's like the tape masters. And this is crazy. It's ridiculous. Kind of like the flyer collectors. You know, I'm eating flyer right. guys. And I'm like, how the hell did you even get this?
0: Yeah, like, what? Where? how do you tap in? You, you're not just going to... Damn Craigslist or something. Right, you just
1: don't walk into a record store and there's the tape. <laughs> right, so
0: that's some crazy Sherlock Holmes.
1: We found this little hole in the wall spot, and we we're like, oh, you, you know, they only had a couple records. It was like small spot, and then the guy said he had some tapes. I'm like, I'm not really in, into tapes, and he pulled them out anyway, and it was like all these OG. Battles from, like you said, from 78, 79, I lost my mind. I was like, yo, this is crazy.
0: Japan is always what comes to mind when we think of like just the most ambitious collectors.
1: Yeah, they got it all.
0: Yeah. Those tapes were probably making it out there early.
1: 1980. Probably. But I know I had bought some crazy CD once when I was in New York. This guy had... I don't know, like a 10 disc collection where he had digitized all the tapes. Yeah, I bought it off him for like a hundred bucks or something. And I mean, there's a lot of tapes on there. You
0: know what that is called? I gotta look for that.
1: <laughs> I don't, but I have it. I'm gonna I'll find it and I'll I'll show you.
0: Cause that's crazy because everywhere these tapes went around the world, people heard them and whole scenes would just spring up off somebody hearing
1: it. Yeah, and it's just crazy to hear. Busy B or people talk about them, but then you can go back and actually hear them.
0: Yeah, you feel the combativeness, you know. You hear how innovative Modi sounds and how unexpected it is that he's flipping it on Busy B. Right. But, but busy but Busy B is raw, you know? And you hear him coming off the head and 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 getting more charged up in the course of this battle. It's like a a, a, a thrilling listen, let alone that it's so historical.
1: Most definitely.
0: And uh, a lot of people drew inspiration from a hundredth a, a generation cassette tape that they got somehow.
1: It's funny, these tapes never get old. They don't. It's just dope hearing the routines, the way they bounced off of each other. Yeah. Even the harmonizing, the singing, just crazy energy. Like, it had to be the best of times.
0: It had to be. It had to be something unimaginable. And to me, it still sounds futuristic. It doesn't sound primitive. It sounds like innovation. It sounds like technology.
1: It's dope that they exist and was able to hear them. And, you know, Kaz can say he did this and did that, but then you hear it and you know it's for real. He's not lying. Right. These are the receipts for a lot of these dudes. Right. And I think a lot of them get slept on. They were, they're the ones that started all this shit.
0: That's a whole thing that everybody used to hear a lot of MCs refer to their old school tape. You know, I forgot to grab my old school tape or I pulled the old school tape from out my rack. Like the idea, the specter of the old school tape. It is. It's like this holy document. And I think we need to to reinstate that and make sure people remember that. Man. Well, that's golden, brother. Thank you so much, man. I can rock with this.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you.
0: Appreciate you, G.
1: All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Enjoy your day.
0: Peace. In this digital era, when the availability of any given media is far more often than not decided by huge corporations and original masters are prone to neglect and disaster, physical media, even something as crude as a 10th generation dubbed cassette tape are precious cargo, if our world, our way of life ends or drastically changes due to war or economic or environmental collapse, Spotify and Netflix might become a legend of the past, but it's comforting to know that somewhere, someone with a little bit of juice and a lot of ingenuity might still be able to know what came before so that they might be able to imagine what comes next. This joint was written by me, Larry Mizell Jr., edited by the great Roddy Nikpour, all under the expert supervision of our brilliant podcast manager, Isabel Khalili. I'm Larry Mizell Jr., and this is 50 Years of Hip-Hop, brought to you by KEXP, where the music matters. Thanks for listening.